Hey, RDWs. Welcome to Dietetics with Dana. I'm Dana Fryer, and this is my podcast where we talk about all things about becoming a registered dietitian. In today's episode, I have another fabulous guest, Holly Larson. Holly is a registered dietitian and nutrition copywriter who has over two decades of experience working in a variety of settings, including diabetes education, WIC, teaching, and now copywriting for dietitians and wellness companies with her business, Holly Larson Writes. I first met Holly when I attended one of her master classes on dietitian salaries, and I thought that this was such an important topic to have a guest come on and talk about. And I can't wait for you to learn more about Holly and her business and her journey as a dietitian. So Holly, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hi, Dana. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Wonderful. Well, why don't you start, I gave a little bit of background, but why don't you kind of introduce yourself a little bit more and tell us about your journey to become a registered dietitian? Happy to. Mine actually started pretty early. Um, I'm one of four kids. And when I was 10, I decided that I wanted to be a vegetarian, but my mom, which I understand this so much more now that I'm a mom was like, Absolutely not. I'm not doing a special meal for you when I'm trying. It's already hard enough to get one meal on the table. Um, But I can be very stubborn. And I said, I kept asking. And so eventually when I was 12, I must have just pushed her button for the last time. And she said, okay, you can be a vegetarian if you take care of it. So for that, that meant cooking my own food. Um, going to the library, because this is pre-Google, um, and research how to be a healthy vegetarian to support my growing body. Um, I talked to my pediatrician. I didn't know about dietitians then. Um, and so I was in charge, which honestly, I just love that my mom did that because she had confidence to give me full reign with this project. And I learned so much. Um, but that's what launched my career to be really interested in nutrition and eventually led to me becoming a registered dietitian. So I'll say it took longer to find the way in which I love being a dietitian that took a lot longer than deciding that I wanted to be a dietitian. Um, I, I'm an Ohio gal. I went to Ohio university for my bachelor's. I didn't get matched in the dietetic internship the first round. And so on a second round, I got into um, the combined master's program at Ohio State, which until I got placed, that really felt like the end of the world, but it worked out. Um, And then I did a lot of different jobs. Um, I worked in a WIC clinic, two different WIC clinics. I did some clinical diabetes education, did some private practice stuff got laid off. That felt like the end of the world at the time. Um, but that kind of gave me the courage to start my private practice because what better time than just to try and figure some stuff out. Um, I still made a ton of mistakes in my private practice. Um, but what I most appreciate is that I gave myself permission just to try a bunch of stuff. And because I approached that with more curiosity than expectation, it helped me to discover that I actually really like to write. And so a long rambling path to where I am today, which is a copywriter. 
And most of my clients are my fellow dietitian entrepreneurs, which sometimes dietitians are like, oh, is it even okay to hire a ghostwriter? Is that a thing? I'm like, yes, it's mm-hmm. absolutely a thing. Um, we need more copywriters. We're not taught how to write well in school. Um, and so that is the work that I love to do. I get to amplify the voices of dietitians who are doing really cool stuff, but it's work that I enjoy and I'm good at and it's flexible around my life, um, the rest of my life. Love that. And question for you, because I know before I've worked with a copywriter before too, and before I worked with a copywriter, I had no idea what a copywriter is. So do you want to just explain to the audience a little bit about kind of what that means? Great question. Um, Yes. So copy is any kind of words that are intended to create action. So the opposite of copy um, are words that are just meant to entertain or inform. And dietitians are really good at being teachers. We're such nerds about vitamins and minerals and all that stuff. And it can be a bigger challenge for a lot of reasons to actually talk about and promote and feel salesy about our own stuff. But copy is the kind of words that are helping people to take action. So for example, a blog could just be all about vitamin D, my favorite vitamin, Um, or it could be copy if at the end of the blog you say, okay, and I invite you to download my ebook, what you'll love about it is blah, 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 here's where to put your email. So you're telling the people what to do next and eventually asking them to make a purchase. Love it. And I know, you know, from myself, like I said, I had never heard of what that was before I was approached by a copywriter who's like, I think you need this. And, you know, especially for you guys thinking to go into private practice, I think, you know, one of the hardest things is we forget that we can't do it all and we're not supposed to do it all. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure Holly can agree that we learn from the experience of when you're outsourcing a lot of the things, it actually helps you more than you trying to work 12 hours a day, doing things you're not good at. So it's exciting that you kind of through your whole career path found something that you really enjoy. And it sounds like you were saying, you know, kind of just works a lot better with kind of your life too, career-wise. It's so much better when you give yourself permission to really focus on, just like you said, the stuff that you are the best at, the stuff that you enjoy doing the most. Um, There is a lot that you can outsource and you can outsource anything, but I think sometimes we forget that the idea of having a business is to have more freedom. So we have to keep that in mind as we make decisions. And if we think of ourselves as the only person who can do this task, this thing that limits your freedom. And now that I'm a mom, um, and I have a toddler and he brings home more plagues from daycare. I can't be the only thing in my business. So I'm someone who I support other entrepreneurs and I also outsource stuff that I do so that I can be more flexible and nimble in my life and my business so that I don't have resentment against my business or so much stress against my business because here he is home from daycare with another bug. Yeah. 
Oh, and I think that's a great point you bring up too about kind of the flexibility of it too. Cause I think, you know, when everyone sees like the shiny private practice dietitians on Instagram, they're like, okay, to get there, I have to do, you know, 1000 things. I have to overwork myself too. And, you know, definitely. And I can speak from my own personal experience sometimes in the beginning while you're figuring that out, that's how it needs to be, but it shouldn't Mm -hmm. be that forever. And having, you know, the flexibility is really key. And I think the other kind of exciting piece about kind of doing a variety of different things is, you know, beyond that schedule flexibility, but that financial flexibility too. Mm -hmm. And that's something you talked about in that great masterclass and something I know you talk about with the conferences you do too. Why do you feel like this is a topic that so many, you know, salary wise making money that so many dietitians are afraid to talk about and kind of share about? So many reasons. Money is such a laden with emotions and assumption kind of topic. And I don't think most of us feel empowered about money. And so I hosted um, a virtual conference in August of this year called the Dietitian Money Conference. Not because I have all of the answers. I don't. Um, But what I am good at is bringing people to the table who are smarter than me, who have more things figured out than me, so that we can learn from each other and ask questions and take action together to actually make a difference. Because the average dietitian salary is pitiful. And there are a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons that have compounded to make that kind of a complicated little knot of issues. But I do firmly believe that the more that we learn from one another and talk about what things are working, instead of just working so hard that we're burnt out, we're just complaining in Facebook groups, those things, they might feel good in the moment, but they don't affect any change. So um, I just wanted to have a space where we could learn from each other and take more action together. I learned so much from our speakers at the conference this year. No, and I, and I love that you're made something like that too, because again, there's not, I mean, I think back to my education. I don't think I had one lecture, one guest who said anything about money. I think if anything, a very common undertone in a lot of, you know, based when you look at professors and the people teaching in the program is the dietitians are going to make you know, little money because you love to help people. And then, you know, hopefully you have a rich partner who can help you to, you know, cover the costs of living. And that's just not, you know, not the correct message because we do have the skills to make a lot of, a lot of money too. And that's where, you know, kind of thinking about different income streams, different paths is so important. When, professors are impacting students at such a young age. It's just, it's such a disservice to cut people out at the knees because then you just feel like there's nothing that can be done. And while I have no uh, assumptions that change is fast, I do strongly believe that change is possible. And the more that we are informed about the kind of levers that we can pull both for ourselves individually by learning skills, like how to negotiate and how to evaluate your salary based on your peers and your experience and your um, your geographical location, those matter. 
And then things nationally, like participating with the academy and your state um, affiliate and so on, and having an NPI number, all of those things matter. So if we talk about them and share those messages, that is how we make a difference. Exactly. And again, it's something that people most feel bad talking about. And I can speak from being in the Boston area, our, especially our inpatient dietitians recently have been doing a great job of advocacy and people have seen the biggest salary boost, you know, so low, but the biggest salary boost, you know, in the past, you know, three, five years than they have ever seen in 10 years. So it definitely, like Holly said, it changes slow, but if you're not speaking up, about it, you know, it's very hard to be expecting a change without contributing to the change too. Oh, that was powerful. And what kind of tips do you have? Like, cause we have a lot of students who are listening to podcasts, maybe they're doing an RDN eligible job while they're taking their exam, or maybe they've just passed and they're starting their first job. And right. We always talk about, you need to be advocating for yourself and everything, but what tips do you have for that? Like brand new dietitian who's feeling like, I don't really bring a lot to the table. I have maybe I have, you know, maybe a master's degree, definitely, obviously the bachelor's degree dietetic internship, but they're not sure how they could even kind of establish their worth when they're getting these low ball salaries. I think back to when I got my first um, job and I felt exactly the same way. I didn't feel like I had any clout and, you know, my student loans were starting to come in. I needed a job. Like, I think sometimes people, dietitians can be insensitive when they say, well, just don't take lower paying jobs. Like that's, that's not real in touch with reality that we need to be able to pay rent and buy food. Um, but there are some things that I could have done if I had been better trained or equipped with some of these skills. And the first is just to fight back on some of that, those messages that your mind says to you when you're feeling insecure and not confident. And to say that you have nothing to offer, quite frankly, is bullshit. You're trained. You've gone through this great training program, whether you're a master's or bachelor level, you've gone through an internship, you know stuff. And people are not expecting an entry-level position to have the wisdom of 27 years. Like that's not realistic. So you are allowed to be ready to learn new stuff while you already have stuff to offer right now. If you are working at a job um, while studying for, or just any time actually, I would make note we always think we're going to remember the cool stuff that we do and we don't. Um, so I would recommend following Stacy Dunn MP of nutrition jobs. She has a great um, Instagram where she gives really good tips. And one of them is to have a work journal. So as you are going through day by day, week by week, you keep track of the things that you're doing and how you're contributing and write them down, especially for things that have a financial impact on your organization. So if you have anything that you can be doing that is saving money um, or increasing revenue, always write that down so that when you are talking about 
your salary with your boss or future boss. You're not just talking about your enthusiasm or things like that. You're talking about the actual quantifiable impact that your work has had. And I love, and I saw that tip from say, and I personally do that now too. I have a whole folder in my email that I just have titled like accomplishments too, because I feel like, especially when review time comes around, when you're working in, you know, positions where you're doing the annual review, they're not, you know, your boss isn't going to be the one to remember that, you know, but if you bring it up, you know, with kind of your evidence, they're not going to be able to deny it. And then also just to practice interviewing. When I was interviewing for my first job, I knew that I needed to negotiate. Um, But when my future boss offered this pitiful salary in a WIC clinic, I said, is that negotiable? She said, no. And that was the whole conversation. And Dana, I felt humiliated because I knew it was supposed to go differently than that, but I didn't know how to do it differently than that. And so what I wish I had done is practice talking through these conversations that feel really hard in the moment. It's hard to advocate for yourself, but there are a lot of resources, even just on Instagram these days that, you know, 20 years ago when I was applying for a job, those weren't out there. So they don't need to be dietitian specific, everybody that you follow on Instagram, But there's some really great ones to walk you through how to have those conversations, not just knowing you should have those conversations. And even if, you know, no one gets everything they want in a negotiation right off the bat, that's how life works. But you can also set up time, say, okay, three months from now or six months can now, can we reevaluate things and keep continuing to advocate for yourself so that your income gets greater and collectively as a profession, our income is going higher too. Definitely. And I, and I love those tips too, because I, you know, especially, you know, the reminder that there's so many great, you know, like dietitian career accounts, but also you can follow, like there's some I follow that are like HR accounts and like, just like interviewing Mm -hmm. and business tips, because a lot of, you know, these conversations and kind of similar to when we're being trained in like motivational interviewing, where at first when you're counseling, you're never sure what to say, then you Mm -hmm. see an example and it becomes natural. The same thing for when you're talking about job interviewing and salary of there are so many people out there with great tips of how to kind of tip the conversation a little bit, a different flair to add. So that when they're saying right in Holly's situation where they're saying not negotiable that you go, okay, I'll take it. Sounds great, you know, but just other kind of things. And again, that kind of comes with, you know, the confidence too, you know, and there's always going to be the jobs that say like, no, and having a little bit of more education, how to navigate that at least, you know, keeps the people hiring on their toes and thinking about that. You're like, well, let's evaluate in three months, you know, down the road Mm -hmm. gives you different options, you know, and another thing, a lot of you know, dietitians kind of explore too. And sounds like you had some experience in this, Holly, too. It's just kind of having multiple income streams. Can you talk a little bit about how that can be really helpful to elevate people's careers? Yeah. I think when we look at write-ups or books around who are self-made millionaires, which I'm not one yet. I'm totally open to being one in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But the people who have 
a lot of money who have made it without just inheriting money, um, which I haven't done that either, just full disclosure, um, <laughs> that they have more than one income stream. So as dietitians, a traditional clinical job is not going to make us a millionaire unless we're living like in a tent in someone's backyard um, and not spending any money. So whether or not you want to be an entrepreneur full-time or not, having additional sources of income just can offer a lot if you do it right. It could offer having more savings in your savings account. It can offer paying off debt more quickly. Um, But it's also important to think about things that what can you get the most bang for your buck? Like I don't believe any income is truly passive. You have to put work into even things that are more passive than like a one-to-one nutrition counseling appointment. But if you can have multiple streams of income, that can help protect your financial health, which protects your mental and physical and emotional health too. Um, And writing is one option, obviously, that I love since I am an Um, a nutrition copywriter, that having a writing business is something that can be in any size business. So you could have a full-time job and have even just one client that you write one blog for a month. And maybe like me, you started charging $250 for a blog. And then as your experience and confidence grows, you can keep raising your prices. Yeah. And I think, you know, you made a great point too, where a lot of people, you know, kind of think that that like side hustle, side gig mentality has to be like an extra full-time job on top of it. And it absolutely doesn't. It could be like Holly was saying, you know, doing one blog post. If you want to be, a, you know, do dabble a little bit in private practice, you could have two clients for the longest time when I was still working inpatient full-time, I had one or two clients as like, on the side. But again, that was extra income that then allowed me to kind of have more flexibility to then really kind of reassess my whole career and go, you know, full-time with my business. But just, it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be a crazy amount of time. You know, you can take, what do you like? Like Holly was saying, she likes writing. Maybe you like recipe development. Maybe you like photography. You know, I work with one of my past interns who does all my graphic design. And that's her, you know, like RD2B side hustle is, you know, redoing my PowerPoints so that they look nice and, you know, helping with me with the Instagram. There's a lot of different things that you can be doing. And then that also gives you more power too, especially if you're at, you know, like Holly was saying her first job. And I know my first job was definitely in that realm too, where you're like this pitiful salary to kind of give you that confidence to say, wow, I, someone values my time a lot more. And that's really powerful to have that. It's really powerful. Um, and I'll also just add, in case it doesn't seem obvious, your side hustle doesn't actually have to be in nutrition yep. or all of your side hustle. So you could, you know, do click up grocery shopping one day a week. You could drive Uber when the whim uh, strikes you. You could rent out a room on Airbnb. Um, That's something I've done in the past. It was long enough ago that Airbnb wasn't as popular. Mm -hmm. But what I did is any money that I made through Airbnb then just went into the the vacation spending account. So it truly felt like extra. 
And that made it worth the inconvenience of having someone sharing your house sometimes. Um, so I think it can be helpful to think really outside the box. There's so many ways to have gigs these days. And if you have specific goals of what you're doing with that money, that can be helpful for pushing through if it feels a little inconvenient or not quite as fun. Um, I started my current writing business while working a full-time job. That's hard. Um, but I it wasn't the, quite the right time to quit my job, which there's never a perfect time, but there were some things that we were thinking through that it wasn't, it really wasn't quite the right time yet. And so I paid off $10,000 of student loans through my writing work and build up a savings account. So when I was ready to pull the trigger and say, I'm out of here, mm -hmm. I had the financial cushion to do so. And meanwhile, I'm building up my client list, figure out my systems, figure out how to do things more efficiently so that when the time came to do this business full on, it was like entrepreneurship was never easy, but it was a lot simpler. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, a big takeaway from that too, is that there's never a wrong amount to start in kind of dabbling in something. There's not something wrong career-wise, side hustle-wise. It, you know, everyone is kind of looking at this a little differently. You're going to have, right, like Holly was saying, like, oh, this is just money to the vacation fund. You're going to have people who, you know, love working one full-time job and just want a little extra money. You're going to have some people, you know, like Holly and I progressed to where we're trying to make enough money with this one thing to kind of make that financial flip from that full-time, you know, quote-unquote stable job to, you know, running the, your own business too. But I think, you know, some key takeaways from today is to know that you have a lot of skills to offer. It's okay to go into your first job without a lot of answers, but, you know, you want to be doing things and recognizing that you have so much value to, to add to the field and the profession. And the more people who are kind of talking about, you know, money and, you know, our worth, it just elevates everyone. So I encourage you, you know, as you're looking for your first job, talk with dietitians, say what, how much did you make your first job? What was the salary? What can you get paid for this? Because it's, you know, the more transparency we have, the better, and we can start to have kind of some accountability for those decision makers who are making those low ball salaries too. Um, money is hard to talk about. We have a lot of emotional connections with it and layers of cultural norms, which mostly are just don't talk about money. Mm -hmm. But when we don't talk about money, um, it hurts us, especially as women, especially people of color. Like the more that we can be transparent about money, it helps to make it harder to take advantage of people. Exactly. Well, Holly, thanks so much for coming on. Do you want to share where our listeners can find you online? Yeah, I'd love to connect. So since I have two aspects of the work that I'm doing for people interested in learning more about writing, um, my Instagram is Holly Larson Writes. And that's also my website, hollylarsonwrites.com. I do have a free tool to start learning some ways to learn how to write um, well, because so often people say, well, just practice. I'm like, well, practice what? That kind of drove me nuts. Um, so I made a tool with different ways to learn how to write, to do copywriting in a way that feels warm and authentic and like you and not just like, 
a sciencey robot, which I think is how a lot of us learn how to write in school. Um, and for any dietitian or RD2B who wants to talk about money, please connect with me on Dietitian Money Conference. Um, it will be an annual conference, fully virtual, so that we can learn more creative ways to make more money, how to advocate for ourselves as a community to keep having this ripple effect of raising our income because we're worth it. Wonderful. And we'll put all those links that Holly talked about in the show notes so that you guys can click and find those. And I want to thank everyone listening for coming on and tuning in to this episode. I hope you learned a lot and don't forget to subscribe to Dietetics with Dana so that you can get updated on the most recent episodes.